Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, psychology student, wife, and mama four. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Janelle. Janelle Perez is a San Francisco Bay Area native and is joining us from Sacramento, California. Janelle graduated from the Pennsylvania State University with a degree in administration of justice. She was a police officer for almost seven years. She spent six years at the South San Francisco Police Department and then spent eight months at the Roseville Police Department outside Sacramento where she was terminated for what she believes to be discriminatory reasons. A staunch advocate for, of equality, Janelle brings her perspective of what it was like to be a female minority in law enforcement. Well, thank you, Janelle, for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be with you. I would love, um, you know, uh, police officers are a popular topic nowadays. <laughs> Very much so, Yes. Um, so I would love for you to share with us what uh, made you decide to become a police officer. Well, it's, it's interesting. I have no great backstory. So no family that was in law enforcement or anything like that. I just did not know what I wanted to study in college. That's really what it came down to. So I ended up taking the advice of my academic counselor who said, why don't you do something that interests you? So I thought criminal justice was very interesting. And initially I thought, you know, like a government job, like the FBI or something like that would be super, <laughs> super cool. Um, but when I, when I graduated college and I moved back to California, I was like, okay, it's time to like be a grown up and get a career. And so <laughs> I decided, oh, well, you know, let's start in, in police work and see how it goes. And if I want to, you know, move on and up from there, I can do that. So that's how I got started. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think a lot of us, when we first start in college, we're just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I remember the first time we went to college, I went for financial information and analysis, which oh, is wow. the fancy way of saying accountant. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Uh, and uh, now I'm going for psychology. Like I'm uh, 34 and I started back to college like two years ago and I'm two different things, completely different things. Yeah. It's so hard. I feel like, how do you know when you're so young, you're 18 years old? Like, I don't know what I want to do for the rest of my life. So yeah, it was a big struggle, but, um, you know, it ended up being a really good experience overall. I loved helping people. That was what I wanted to do. And so, um, you know, in a very peculiar like way that not a lot of people see, um, from police officers, you know, most of the time they are there to help. So yeah. I know there's a big difference between police and fire. We always joked that like everyone loved the firefighters, but like nobody likes the police officers. <laughs> So, well, there's good eggs and there's bad eggs. I try to tell people that I'm like, please don't paint, you know, all police officers with this broad brush um, because not all are alike. So what were your favorite parts of being a police officer? I loved that no day was the same. So there were always, um, you know, different things going on. Um, I loved working outside. I loved working with people. So a lot of like variety. I'm not um, someone that really likes 
to do the same thing over and over like Groundhog Day, like sit in the <laughs> office and look at a computer and do the same thing. So um, I really liked the variety and helping people. You know, sometimes you'd have experiences where you would uh, arrest the same person over and over for the same thing. And you all, like my hope was always that maybe this is the last time and they'll get right. help, you know? So really, um, you know, helping people was part of the job that I found really rewarding. So what was the hardest part of being a police officer besides what you went through? We're going to get to that. I mean, just yeah. the job in general. <laughs> um, there's so many hard things, you know, um, you know, it's scary going, you know, with the mentality going to work every day, knowing that you might not return home. That's mm -hmm. scary, but it's a reality that you have to keep in your mind. Um, you know, I, a few of the calls that I've had that are scary are obviously, um, weapons, people that are, um, just under the influence of drugs so much that they're incoherent, um, right. and have a physical strength that is scary. Um, and then obviously, you know, anything that involves children was really hard for mm -hmm. me because crimes against children is, um, it's a hard one, especially as a parent now. So it's, um, those were some big challenges for me. Yeah. I can't, I can't even imagine. Um, and I, I am sure that sometimes it felt very thankless, thankless, um, because, you know, like we said, good eggs, bad eggs, the bad eggs have kind of made you all look bad. Um, and it's, it's difficult not to, to, um, not to get like mad and angry, right. To be like, but I am, I'm doing good things. <laughs> yes. It's hard because I mean, I'm, I read the news and, you know, like I, I think the bad ones have to go because they create a bad name for all police officers. And right. I believe that there are many police officers that want to do good and do want to help and not discriminate against people and, you know, violate people's rights. But it, the problem is, is when there are those officers getting away with it, um, it makes it harder for everybody. So I just, um, obviously with my story and what happened, it's, personal for me. I feel like when there are these, um, bad eggs, so to speak, I feel like you have to start at the top and you need to start, you know, holding people accountable. So. Absolutely. If, if you have the, the person at the top, that's willing to turn their, a blind eye to all the bad behaviors, it doesn't help the, the issue go away. It just makes it worse. Exactly. Or when some people can get away with something, but then other people can't like there's, you know, that's not fairness and equality. So yeah, definite accountability is needed in law enforcement because I think in, in full transparency, you know, people need to know really what's going on. It makes, I feel like it's a more trusting relationship when, you know, community members can see full transparency with the police department. So I think that's really important. And, and work hand in hand, right? Like that's yeah. how you build trust yeah. uh, with policing is to work with the community and, and help, um, help better the resources in a community. So there's not as much need for policing. You mentioned, um, you know, somebody being incoherent on drugs. Like if a community has a better resources for substance abuse, maybe you wouldn't have as many calls for that. Yes. I think whatever has been going on is not working very well right now. So there has to be 
you know, people thinking outside the box to bring more resources and to do something differently? Like why continue to go down a path that isn't working for so many agencies? So definitely don't have all the answers, but I do see that. I, I think things need to change a little bit. So, right. Where I live in Connecticut, um, we have two on one, which I guess two on one, something that almost every state has, but in Connecticut, if you call it, um, during a mental health crisis or somebody in your family having a mental health crisis, they'll send a mental health professional to your, to your house. Now there might be police backup if there's like the person's violent, mm-hmm. you know, or, and nobody can restrain them because you don't want people to be in harm's way, but they're merely as backup. Like if they're called in to help restrain somebody, but they send a mental health professional to handle that. And I feel like things like that are missing in a lot of communities where, or people don't know about them that, Hey, you don't always have to call 911 for everything. Like there's other resources you can call for other issues, non-related to, you know, the things police officers are supposed to take care of. Yeah. And the police aren't, you know, I feel like the police, they have to wear so many hats, you know, and so we have training in a lot of various areas, but you know, we're not psychologists or psychiatrists. So sometimes, you know, you have a split second to react and figure out what's going on in a situation where somebody could be having, I I just remember the situation happening, could be having an outburst. There was somebody responded to a call and they were bipolar. (laughs) Okay. So the family called and, you know, like I am, I used a lot of my voice in police work. I, I really believe in it. I believe that talking down a situation is important. And I think there probably needs to be more training in that, you know, like area where more police officers can use their voice, um, to de-escalation tactics. Yes. Kind of like hostage negotiation, like where you learn (laughs) those tactics, you know? Um, And I remember, you know, it would have been nice to have somebody in mental health there with us um, because we have only so many options in a situation like that, that we're, that, you know, that we're trained in and how to handle things. But, you know, the police really, they have so, they have to wear so many hats. Too many, too many hats. (laughs) Yeah. So I definitely think having additional resources available, um, you know, I don't know exactly what the answers are, but definitely something um, needs to change and for the good. So, well, I mean, I know that was not what you're here to, I wanted to provide some background. So I would love um, for you to share your story. What happened to you? How were you discriminated against? I can't imagine, you know, being a female minority in policing is easy, especially when there is predominantly male, white, (laughs) people going white males uh that are running this thing right that are part of the police I mean uh where I'm from I'm from uh, northern New York Canada Jason I don't even think in the police forces in my in my county there were any police of color um Mm -hmm. much less female police officers uh so like I'm talking about like this whole county which it sounds like a big thing, but it's really not a lot of people. Like <laughs> It's the boondocks, but I um, mean, I might be wrong. Maybe I didn't see them, but I always dealt with uh, when it came to police officers were white males. And, you know, even um, when I was having mental health crisis sees, they didn't even know how to handle that. They thought, oh, she's just drunk. Let's take her to the hospital. And I like, but now looking back, I was like, oh no, there was a complete mental health crisis. I should have been put in the psych ward, but you know, 
how are you supposed to know that? Right. So anyways, long story short, you're dealing with, um, you know, police department that was probably predominantly, uh, white, predominantly male. How, what happened with you? Yeah. So, um, I came to a new agency after taking a short break when I had my second child and I had about six years of experience from a previous agency. So, um, I was excited to get back to work. I like, I was suffering myself from some postpartum depression after having my second child, because I really like had a void. I was missing something. I really wanted to get back to work and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, have something for myself. And so when I, when I started at my new agency, I shortly thereafter, about three months in separated from my spouse and started, um, dating a male coworker. And, um, about two to three months, I think after that, the chief of police received a letter, from the person that I was dating his ex, he was also separated. And, um, the letter alleged that there was inappropriate conduct occurring on duty, which there wasn't, but they investigated, they did an investigation and they found, um, that two charges against us were sustained. So I was pulled into the captain's office one morning and told that I violated these policies here, read this document and sign it. And I read through everything. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't violate any policies. Like it was clear the way it was written was, um, you know, your, your, what you're doing with a married coworker will not be tolerated. They had no idea like that we were both separated because they didn't ask. And really like, it wasn't, I wasn't like going to share my whole life with everybody that I worked with. Right. And so, um, so I, asked the captain, like, do I have, are you forcing me to sign this? And he said, no. And I said, okay, then I'm not going to sign it because I don't agree that I violated any policies. So, um, he told me I had to set up a meeting with the chief of police, which I did. And when I met with the chief, um, I'm not sure how much later, a week or two later, um, I had a whole written document about how I didn't violate these policies and there was no evidence. And, um, I spoke for about 30 minutes and then the chief handed me a termination letter. And so, um, the person that I was dating, um, did not get terminated. The difference, um, that they alleged was that I was probationary. So I had a 12 month probation period and I was only in month eight and the male officer had been there for, I think five years, something like that. So, um, but I, I felt like, um, that it was really based on my gender and marital status, which, there are protected classes that you can't be terminated for even, um, being probationary. And so I decided to file a lawsuit because I totally wholeheartedly still to this day, believe that I was terminated because of discriminatory reasons. And I initially lost at summary judgment and then, uh, appealed in the ninth circuit court. And I, won my right to privacy three to zero in the ninth circuit court of appeals about a month after the decision was written and published, um, decided everything. Uh, one of the judges on that panel passed away and I didn't, I didn't think it would affect the decision at all, but it made me sad because he obviously, um, you know, 
understood. He read everything. He understood the case. And I felt like, um, that was the first time, like I had been listened to. Right. And so, um, someone on the court, uh, requested what's called an on bonk, um, request. And that is when more judges hear your case, um, to, to make a decision. And according to my lawyer, he said in like big cases like this that can happen. So we thought that it would be decided within, you know, several months, whether or not it would be reheard on bonk or not, but it pended for over a year, no decision was made. And then, um, all of a sudden I got a call from my lawyer who said, uh, your decision has been reheard. They put a new judge in place of the judge that passed away. One of the judges changed their decision um, who initially voted on my side and I lost two to one. So um, it wasn't any, didn't have anything to do with the on bonk. So it was very, to me, I didn't understand, like there should be a specific court process that has to be followed. Not just like, oh, we want to just decide today to rehear this. Um, so a lot of unfairness I felt um, that happened in that. And once that was decided, my lawyer just said, you know, you can go to the Supreme Court, but the way they wrote the decision is going to make it very challenging. So I decided to, to end it there and share my story and write a book. And so that's what I did. You know, I thought that you know, law enforcement is predominantly male, but there's also a lot of other industries that are predominantly male as well. And I thought if I share my story, if we all start sharing our stories collectively about discrimination that we face, like at some point people have to listen and things have to change. So that's what I did. So ha has your book been published yet? Yes. I, it was published in December. So it is okay. out. Great. What's the name of it? The moral police. Now, have you talked to other female uh, police officers and about this? Like, is there more stories that you've heard, which I'm sure there is, maybe you have or have not heard them um, about similar discrimination going on? So I, when we deposed for my case, some of the female um, officers at the agency that I worked for, um, there were situations that seemed not, obviously not identical, but where they were discriminated against as well. And so, um, you know, when you're, when you are a police officer, like you don't talk about these things because you, you are going to be like on everybody's hit list. Like, you know, better, you know, not to say anything, not to complain, things like that. So if you do, you just open yourself, you're an easy target. And I feel like that's, I became an easy target because I said, I'm not going to agree to something I didn't do. Right. And so, um, you know, after sharing my story, I have had people reach out to me and share things that happened to them as well. Um, not specifically law enforcement, but that have ha happened to them in their lifetimes and their careers as well. So it's, these things happen more often than I think people realize. So I think what you just said was very important. Um, because you talked about how people will be targeted if they speak out. And I think that that plays into what we talked about earlier with, you know, bad policing, like somebody who sees something and they're like, that's wrong. But then you have all, 
all these higher ups that don't see an issue with it. If you speak out, you're likely to be targeted, maybe fired. They'll find a reason or they'll make things harder for you, um, which makes it really, really difficult to see reform in that area. Yes. It's, you know, I'm glad there's the cameras coming out and that sort of thing. When I first started, they didn't have that, but you know, it's, I think it's just too easy for people to like say, I didn't see that. I don't know, you know, like, and that sort of thing, because they're fearful of what's going to happen if they speak out. And so do I think it happens? Yes. I mean, I think, and I like to hope that the majority of police officers are good people who are going to do the right thing, even if that means throwing someone under the bus that did something wrong. But do I think that even supervisors can turn a blind eye? Like, absolutely. I do think that's possible because what happened to me, like, I don't think, I think there, that things were going on behind the scenes and that it wasn't, it didn't come out truthfully. So that's what I suspect happened. Um, you know, but I can't be sure, but I've, you know, I've been around long enough to, to know that we generally speaking, police officers protect each other. So it happens. It sounded like an, it sounds like an ex-wife with a grudge who was like, (laughs) I'm just going to make my ex's life a living hell. (laughs) (laughs) So let me do this knowing that somebody was going to, uh, you know, deal with repercussions. Uh, she was probably hoping that he did. (laughs) Yeah. I think she was very, yeah, very, she was very angry clearly to, to do what she did, but I think the department appeased her and like, they just wanted to shut her up essentially because, Um, they sent her as soon as they hit us with the sustained findings, they sent her a letter saying, thank you so much for bringing this to our attention. Uh, they've, you know, and, and said the findings were sustained, but the part I haven't gotten to is that they, after I was terminated, they take, they took the sustained findings away. So I pled my case when I met with the chief, I got terminated, but then I got called by a Lieutenant, um, maybe a week later, two weeks later, and was asked to meet him. And I was given new findings that took the sustained findings away and then added a a new one, which was violation of the cell phone policy, which I still don't don't agree with, um, to the mix. So I think, um, and I'm, I'm not positive, but I, in all the documentation, she wasn't sent anything showing that those findings were taken away. So I think initially they just wanted to appease her and get her, get rid of her and say, okay, here, you're right. You know, so. Did the guy that you were dating deal with any repercussions at all? Um, The only repercussion that he had was when they gave new findings, they took the two away and they, they gave him the cell phone violation that he violated the cell phone policy. So that's the only repercussion. I think that's what like stung so hard is that, you know, I really believe that I was terminated based on discriminatory reasons, because if we had done something so awful to violate policies, like we both should have been terminated. You know, I don't feel like we did because what, what I do in my private life is my business and it should remain my business. Um, 
But I think that's what hurts so bad is seeing somebody involved in the same situation get to keep their job and I lost mine. So, right. It was consensual. It didn't happen on, you know, time while you guys were on the job, you you know, it, it makes no sense that you both were separated in your personal lives. So it makes no sense that you would be punished for having a relationship. There was no, there was no rule against having a relationship with coworkers. No, no. Cause we weren't, there was no supervisor role. So we were both right. the same rank and everything. And honestly, in my personal opinion, even if we weren't separated, like there was an alleged swingers club at the agency <laughs> and there were all men involved in it. And so like, that was fine. Right. For men to be involved in this. And I, like, I don't have, you know, I just heard other people talk about it. I didn't right. see anything firsthand and can confirm it, but you know, like if that was true and that was happening, then my relationship when I was separated was so awful, you know, and egregious that, you know, I should have been terminated for it. I just, the whole thing was so unfair. I just feel like, you know, let people live their lives the way they choose to live their lives when they're not working and you shouldn't be involved in it. So no, it should, it should be personal. It should be personal, right? You deal with it off of you know, company time, you're, that's something that it should have been, if she had an issue with you, she should have came to you. Not, you know, I say that not the same, but I say the same thing about my kids. My, my daughter, she's almost 18 was dating a, um, a guy last year. Yeah. The end of, so not this past December, the December before, and his mom called her and chewed her out. And I was like, no, give me her phone number now. And I told her on the phone, I said, if you have a problem with my kid, it is not appropriate for you to chew her out. I'm her parent and you can come to me. So a, a completely different situation, but I feel the same way is that she should have came to you if there was a problem, not be like, well, let me tattle on, <laughs> you know, yeah. it was, yeah. it was completely inappropriate. Like, um, I feel like, you know, if you're an adult, adults should deal with adults, not act like children. Yeah. I think, you know, ultimately she got what she wanted because I lost my job, but, um, I believe things happen for a reason. So honestly, I feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be in my life right now. So I have to say that things worked out the way that they should have worked out. So right. I'm, I'm the same way as like, I would never go back and change anything because, butterfly effect. I may not even be where I am today. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So do you still work in law enforcement? I don't, I never went back. I had, um, after everything happened, I literally like hit rock bottom. Like I was so depressed and, um, I had no confidence because, you know, there were things in the media, you know, and I just felt very insecure. I, I know how the agencies work around where we live and everybody knows everybody. So I couldn't like, I couldn't get the confidence to like go to an interview and, and take that step. I was just so defeated. So I never got back into it. And honestly, with the way things are right now, like I'm glad glad I didn't. Right. It's, it's such a tumultuous time right now. Um, and I feel like it's, it has it, become so politicized, right? It, it, instead of looking at like, there are problems and these, and we need to resolve these problems. It's either like one extreme or the other extreme. And I'm like, no, there's a middle ground here. 
Yes. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I, yeah. I think there's a need for police, but I think there's a need for the outside resources too. So there needs to be a lot more collaboration going on to, to find the right solution. So, right. You can't expect one person to have 20 bazillion um, hats that they have to wear. There are other people and other resources that could take care of some of these things. So there's not as much stress that police officers know how to react in certain situations. So prior to this, um, did you deal with any discrimination, you know, before this happened? Um, I had like at this agency that I went to, like I was required to read a book that nobody else had to read. So when you go, when you start at a new agency, you're in a field training program. And so you have a field training officer for a certain amount of time, then you'll go to a new field training officer. So, um, I was required to read a book and, um, I don't, it came out in conversation with some other officers and none of the other probationary officers and field training were required to. So I thought hmm, that's bizarre because I was the only female going through field training. The rest of the new officers were male. So um, I didn't complain about it because I knew better, um, but it was a little bit odd to me. And then I also found that my time in field training, I had to do the full amount of time where other officers who were probationary like me um, got to be done a little bit sooner. And so I thought, well, I have, um, you know, quite a bit of experience from another agency. So I'm not understanding why I have to do the full amount of time when the male officers are getting to be done sooner. So, um, you know, there were things like that, that kind of had me, um, you know, curious, like I was, you know, seen some things going on, but I definitely wasn't going to speak about them at the time because I knew I was probationary. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think there, there were things that happened. Yeah. So you can't be like, this was blatant sexism, but it was like covert sexism. <laughs> yeah. And they, it's, it's funny because, you know, I brought these things up, but um, after, you know, after my termination, but there was always like a, an excuse for, mm -hmm. for why they happened. And I just, I guess that's where I get frustrated with the lack of accountability because we can all make excuses for everything, but right. like at some point, like somebody has to step up and, you know, like answer to what's, what's happened. And there can't just be excuses and like, Oh, well, I don't, I don't know. Cause I put that person in charge over here. You know, like if, if you're the chief, you're the, you're the number one, like, I feel like you should have to answer for everybody. So yeah, yeah. frustrating for sure. No, I agree. So how was it in the police academy? I know, or did you have to go through a police academy after college? I had to go through a police academy. Yes. So I, my first agency, I got hired on and they put me through the police academy. Yeah. How was, how was that? Did you experience any issues during that? Um, cause I know I I've heard, um, reading articles and stuff about how, how the police academy can go, but I, I'm sure there's many police academies, so it's not just one. <laughs> yes. Um, I didn't like the police academy. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, and I think nobody in my academy class believed that I would be a police officer for more than like a day, but, um, it was, 
I, it was a small academy and I had a small academy class. So I can't gotcha. like some of these other, you know, big departments have huge academies. It was a smaller academy class. Um, I, I think I got along with most people, not, not all of them. And, you know, I wouldn't say, you know, anything really like stood out in terms of, you know, me being a target to anything. It was just, um, you know, you're held to the same, you have to do everything the same. So men and women, you know, like we all have to do, um, jump, jump the six foot wall and we all have to run, you know, certain you know, a mile, for example, in a certain amount of time, or we all have to drag a weighted dummy. And it doesn't matter, like I'm five, four, it doesn't matter that somebody else is six, three, like we're all we all have to do the same thing. And I think, um, you know, some of my frustration lies in like, you know, I wasn't given an opportunity to do something easier, because I'm smaller, um, physically, but you know, then I see all the inequality. I'm like, you're holding me to the exact same standards as a man. So why am I not being treated the same way? You know? Right. No, exactly. Did you have any issues in the first, um, place that you worked at the, the first police agency that you worked at? I didn't, I had a few issues with a few female officers and I kind of chalked that up to, um, jealousy. Like I, I, always maintained, um, you know, professionalism and that sort of thing, but some of the females like tattletailed essentially. And so, um, I think, you know, it came out in depositions with, um, when we went to court that the reason the chief hired me is because like I stayed above petty conflicts and that was like corroborated when they did my background check. So, Um, so yeah, I had a few, um, like minor issues like that in my first agency, but nothing to the extent of what happened in the second. Right. I feel like the sad thing is, is when you get a bunch of females together that, you know, we play into that stereotype that we're all drama and catty and doing all these things. And I'm like, come on, y'all, can we just not play into the stereotype? Uh, cause my, my husband was in the military and, amongst like you know he was on submarines so it predominantly male like they just started um recently in the last couple of years to allow females on um so most of the spouses were female and it would when you got everybody together there were every boat there was drama every boat there was like no escaping it and i'm like the problem is, is when you get a bunch of women together, they play into that stereotype. And I'm like, yo, we we're smart. We're intelligent women. We have a lot to offer the world. And why is penny drama? Yeah, it would. Yeah, it definitely, I feel like in law enforcement, especially my first agency had more women there. Mm. It was a little bit smaller of an agency, but there were more women than my second agency was like, predominantly male. I think there were like maybe six of us women and 126 men or something. I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean, someone should have to answer to that. In my opinion, I feel like there has to be way more representation like across the board, not just like women to men, but races. I mean, we just, there there has to be, I I feel Mm -hmm. like that's the only way to get equality is to have more diversification. So it's frustrating to me to see today, you know, um, we're talking eight years later and the numbers are about the same, you know, that's, that frustrates me a lot. So, 
but I hear what you're saying about the women. Yeah. Be nice to, we have to come together, right? We have to work together, not against each other. That doesn't help anything. Right. How are we supposed to fight for equality when we're at each other's throats? Yes. (laughs) That's not helpful. Yeah. I feel like, uh, you know, we're set up like that. We're, we're brought up like that, that, um, you know, there's a limited space for women. So we have to fight for that, our space, instead of seeing like, why don't we make more spaces for women? And then we don't have to fight over the spaces. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I remember being, um, I was doing the physical agility for the last agency that I was at. And I saw, I don't know how many women there. I don't remember maybe 10 or something like that. And maybe I saw 50 men. I don't know, but in my head, this is how, like, this is how my brain worked. I was like, okay, I knew I passed the physical agility. I knew I had six years of experience. I had a really strong resume. Um, I was like, there's probably going to be one spot. I, I, I like knew it already. I'm like, they're probably hiring five. They're probably giving one to a woman and that's all they're not, even though there's more women to choose from, because I saw them with my own eyes at the physical agility test. Right. And I was right. And I, it was, I mean, luckily or unluckily, I don't know, depending on how I look at it, (laughs) I got that one spot. Right. And so I'm like, something is wrong with this. They can't tell me that women don't apply because I saw women there. So it's almost like, okay, yeah, we have all these spots. We'll save one for a woman, you know? And I just, I, I don't think that's the right approach if that's what they're doing. You know, it should be whoever's the best qualified, you know? I feel like that wherever we are, you know, it's like, you can't tell me that a people of color haven't applied for this position. Women haven't applied for this position and are, and these people are equally as qualified, if not more qualified. And you're to be like, well, I'm not, I'm not sexist. This guy was the most qualified. No, let's look at the resumes. That's not how that works. Yeah. And it was funny because when I, when I started at this, at the last agency, um, there were, I think, two or three, um, of the men came from the Sacramento police department. And that's where the chief had come from. So the chief of police had come from Sacramento and those officers came there too. I don't now. I don't know like their relationship at Sacramento and that sort of thing, but that you know, that was odd to me that they all came from the same agency when the chief was new too. So it's, uh, I don't necessarily think it should be who, you know, I think it should be who's the best qualified. Right. No, I completely agree. And I think, I think that's, that's for anything. I'm fortunate right now to, I work for a marketing company as an administrative assistant, but the marketing company is run by a woman. (laughs) <laughs> so okay. all of her employees are predominantly women. <laughs> oh, we have like one like soul man. <laughs> I mean, oh. I make it out to be like she has a lot of employees. She has like six employees. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I've definitely seen it in in other areas. I think this is across the board where you see the sexism play out. Um, because you know, you have men running the thing whatever position or whatever company or whatever career it is. And then they're hiring more men. And I'm like, can, 
how do we change this mindset? Like, how do we change this mindset? So it's, we'll never reach equality if this is the mindset, you know? Yeah. I feel like when I refuse to sign that document saying I violated those policies, I feel like that captain was like, now, obviously I don't know this for sure. This is just what I feel. Um, I think he was like, hell no, there's no probationary female officer coming into my office saying she's not going to do something. She's got to go, you know, like, I think that played a role in what happened too. And it just sucks because like, I should be able to stand up for myself and what I believe in. And there shouldn't be like a termination consequence to it. So it's, yeah. I don't know. Frustrating. I think gets overused in my vocabulary, but it's the best way to explain how I feel. So in a probationary period, can they just like fire you for any reason? Yeah. So essentially when I asked the chief that day, um, why am I, you know, why am I being terminated? He said, I don't have to give you a reason. And he was right. He didn't have to give a reason. And that's fine. At the end of the day, the problem is it can't be discriminatory. So they can't fire me because I'm a woman or, you know, other discriminatory reasons. And like, that's where I wanted to prove like there was a discriminatory reason on why I was terminated. So, right. Especially because, uh, the guy in the scenario did not have any repercussions. It's, it would be different if like, they're like, well, we can't really fire him for this, but we can, put him on like desk duty or we could do this or we could do that, you know, like other things, mm-hmm. but it sounds like nothing happened. It was just like, no. let me slap nothing. your wrist. Yeah. And not only that, like, I don't know how much longer, six months, I'm not sure. Don't quote me on the time, but he got a special assignment as a school resource officer, which is a tested position that people have to put in for. And I was like, huh, that is so weird that they're giving him, you know, almost like a stay on our good side, you know, like we need you on our, we need you on our side. So it just, the whole thing like sickens me the way that everything played out. So, so what would you, as we wrap up the podcast, what would you like to leave the inspired women audience with? I really believe in sharing our stories together. Like I am an advocate of equality. Like I'm always here. Like I'm happy to listen. If somebody's like hit their rock bottom and like, I don't know who to talk to, like call me, email me, like I'll listen. It's one of those things where it takes so much courage. Like people that have shared their stories, they told me they never shared them before because they were scared. They were scared of what could happen. And I totally understand. Like, look at me. I'm telling you my story. I got fired. Like there's not too many more severe consequences losing your career. And so I just want people to know that it does take like a lot of courage to share your stories. And I want to be there to listen. And I believe that it takes that courage. It takes us sharing those stories in order to affect change. So like, let's get them out there. I know, you know, like mine was, you know, crazy from the get go and it was a hard story to share, but I think that it's really important that we do share together. So I think if anybody takes anything, hopefully some courage and sharing, just share, you know, if something happened to you, let's, we need to make changes. So let's share those stories. 
Absolutely. And I've heard a lot from people that listen to the podcast that they're like, even if it's not my story I'm listening to, I learn something from it. I take something away. And I've had a lot of um, podcast guests that are like, this is my first time sharing this story. And I was like, it's going to help somebody, right? Every time I share something very vulnerable, I'm like, if it just helps one person, I did my job. Yes. And it will. And sometimes you're just a person who, you know, hears the story, but somebody else that, you know, is relating to it. So you can be, you know, the ear for them. So I think it's, I think it's really important to just share. Well, Janelle, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. I had such a good time. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.